Everyone and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 130, the State of the Linux Address, recorded February 1st, 2014, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back, everybody, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroll, and with me, as always, are my two good friends and my friends and yours, uh, beginning with the, the command line godfather, Mr. Chris Neves. Hey, Chris, how are things? Hey, Things are good up here in the Great White North, where I think it's warmer here now than it is down there for you, Mark. Uh, it's something like that. It's uh, you know that darn global warming has gotten us all messed up right now, and I'm sure Seth the Gooey Kid Anderson will have something to say about that. So I'll bring him in now. Hey, Seth. Hey, I for one am thankful for global warming. Otherwise, it would be really cold. <laughs> so um, thank you, global warming. We we had this week what what I am calling Ice Apocalypse 2014 uh, here in Atlanta. It, it hit the South hard, but uh, you know I, I can speak to Atlanta because that's where I live. Um, we all knew that ice and snow were coming. Uh, it wasn't a surprise to anybody. What was a surprise is that it came in uh, several hours earlier than expected, and it moved so fast. So I'm sitting in my office, and I had planned to leave it at like one or two because the weather was expected to roll in late afternoon. Uh, at about little after noon, somebody came in and uh, said, you better go, you know, it's starting to snow right now. And I'm ah, I've got plenty of time. So I, I finished up some tasks I was working on. I walked out the front door at about 1232. I, I remember exactly. Uh, it was 1232. I pulled out uh, of the parking garage, and by 1 o'clock, the roads were impassable. It was that fast. And uh, wow, I work 26 miles from where I live, door to door, 26 miles. Took me over eight hours to make that drive. That's that's rough, dude. Man, that's rough. That's uh, yeah. And Chris and I were talking about before the show. He 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 had to pull the uh, Montana snobbery on me and say, "Well, you know, here in the (laughs) north, that wouldn't happen." And so here's what I've decided: the problem is not that southerners are bad snow and ice drivers that's that's true right but there are there are bad snow and ice drivers everywhere i think there's two things one is we have no infrastructure there's not a snowplow anywhere there's no ice uh, no salt no sand trucks none of that um there's just you know it's just us uh, so there's no infrastructure for fixing it and you take away montana's infrastructure and they'd probably be in a big mess too but even more so, I think what it is, is it's what we get. We're always hovering right around freezing. So we don't ever get sleet or, well, sometimes it's sleet or, or snow, the, the kind of chunky ice that you can drive on. What we get is slick glass freezing rain. It falls as water and freezes, and then you're just on a skating rink. And no amount of skill can make up for the lack of physics there. Um, I At one point, I was going... I had I didn't have my foot on the gas. I had dropped it into drive and was just letting the engine idle uh, push me uh, forward. And 
I hit a patch of ice and started going sideways. <laughs> so there, there's no, there's no skill that would have fixed that. Yeah, there's nothing you can do when this when it's running that when you have that slick of type of ice. Um, I was talking when we were talking this earlier. Uh, we were, I was saying, you know, it's a little bit different up here in the north where we have the refreeze going on almost hourly. It seems like. And it's the ice is almost textured, even before the sand trucks come out. It's still crunchy, and it's it's almost uh, it's not quite ice. It's more chunky uh, chunky snow in some places. Yeah, and so that's that's more drivable. And and I you know I've experienced that sort of stuff, but but when it's just nastiness, there's there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. So Seth, I mean, I know Texas got uh, uh, some of the same thing. What did you have uh, an experience with Snowpocalypse twenty fourteen? No, because today is the first time that we've had moisture in like uh, I don't know a couple of weeks, and you know I, I put a jacket on because it's like forty degrees outside. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. So no, it, we didn't get it. Like the further east you went from here, the worse it got. We had like a we had one day where the low got into the teens but uh it was 70 like within seven days it went from 70 has the high one day to like 17 for the low back up to 70 in the span of a week so it's uh it's regular texas weather yeah, Nothing well, new. the here. high temperature here tuesday was was 20 the high temperature today was 65 so welcome to the south right um well then you beat me today <laughs> and we uh, uh we ran out of oh I, what i what part of the story i didn't mention is during my eight hour odyssey on the way home i my wife and i were texting because i had plenty of time just sitting still in park uh it's not it wasn't a safety issue and one of the things she told me was that the uh the heat was out so that was awesome the furnace downstairs went out so uh we had a little bit of firewood left over we burned all that up uh, early Wednesday, and we had a couple of electric space heaters, and we had the oven on 450 and the door open, and we had the burners on the stir- stove going, just trying to keep warm. Um, and then finally, I ha- we have a gas assist fireplace where you know the gas jet lights the the wood. So I had a bright idea. I went downstairs, and, and here in in Georgia, uh, granite is a very common rock. You just see it all over the place. So I went and grabbed a chunk of granite out of the backyard, threw it in the fireplace on top of the gas jet, let the gas heat it up, and then it became a radiating device. And that's how we got through the uh, the cold temperatures without a furnace, which didn't get fixed until this morning, actually. Jeez. Wow. That's, yeah. That's ingenious, though, with the granite. That was a really smart move. Well, you know, it, it's... If you have a gas fireplace, a pure gas fireplace, they they have logs like that. They're made out of concrete or, or whatever. So it's it wasn't my idea. I just stole the idea from somebody else. Like yeah, them. it's still <laughs> <laughs> it was still pretty quick thinking though. To, yeah, I, I was trying to give you credit, Mark, and you're not letting well, me do you. it. Stop it. They, I'm just I'm just too humble. Uh, and just a quick note there, uh, you won't notice it, uh, listening to the podcast after the fact, but if you're trying to watch live right now, I seem to be having some significant bandwidth issues and things are cutting in and out. So I apologize for that. Um, now moving right along, uh, Chris also, 
um, mentioned uh, a new toy he's been playing with, uh, the Plex software. And, and I don't know anything about it. So, Chris, tell us about Plex. Well, Plex is kind of a neat little software uh, solution that you could run on your either on your home computer or a NAS device to serve your media to your people in your house. Or if you have a high enough upload, you could also serve it to people outside of your house through a mobile app. The nice thing about Plex is it it uh, transcodes on the fly. So if your device can't stream the 720 Blu-ray high-definition thing, you could run it through Plex, and Plex will downgrade it you know, in real time to a, a format that your device will be able to play. Uh, so far, I've had hit and miss results with it, but I've, I, the way I had it originally set up, it was sitting on my file server, and then the Plex software was running on my, my desktop. And I think the fact that I was pulling from the server into my desktop and then back out to the device in the living room, it bottlenecked really bad and was chomping and, and choking and, and then stuttering and constantly saying buffering. So now that I have the hard drive moved from the file server to my desktop with all of the extra movies and things that I have legally obtained, that uh, I'm going to try and run it this weekend and see if the Plex will stream more stable to my Roku device. So this is not a media center like XBMC or or Boxy. It's a media server. So you still have to have a player somewhere or does it present a window player, player option? It okay. has a player option. So if you're like on my Roku, you open up the Ro- the the Plex app and then it it connects to the Plex server and streams it that way. Um, if you're on your mobile device, you open up the Plex app and it connects to the Plex server, either internally through your own home network or if you connect to or if you you could log into it, like if you're at this, the local Starbucks, if your upload is enough to to send it, you'll be able to stream it there too. Um, but it, so, it goes through the Plex application. So if I put this on my my media center that has all my movies on it. Mm-hmm. Then I could put an app on my kids' tablets and they'd be able to watch any of the movies at any yep. time? Yep. Oh. That's exactly how that works. And uh, if you pay... I, I don't remember the prices off the top of my head, but some of the, some of the devices at this point are pay v- versions and then they're going to eventually go free once they've made enough up, I guess. Uh, but if you buy the Plex Pass and it's the lifetime subscription, I believe it's like $75, you get the apps for free. So, you know, if you play with the, the free version of Plex and find out that, yeah, it does everything you want it to do and you don't mind paying the money, you could buy the lifetime license and get the the applications for nothing. And it does work on Linux for streaming because I you can load it up in a web browser and stream from my file server to my Linux machines without a problem. So it, it's it it's running through Flash. It's not open source, so it's it's still you know proprietary software somewhere, but it does work. So something to play with. Okay, that's that's neat. I'm gonna have to check that. I've heard about Plex. 
but I never never tried to play with it. Didn't really know what it was. That's a that's sort of the holy grail. That's what I've been looking for. Do, do you know if it works with a Chromecast? It does, um, but you that's a paid app. So that's going to be one of the things you're going to have to pay. For. You're going to have to have the subscription for in order to put it on the Chromecast. Because that's been the only but, thing you holding know, me back bucks, from the Chromecast. But you know, if you look at it for seventy five dollars, that's a pretty cheap pittance. If you know to get your 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 media anywhere you want it, yeah. that's pretty cheap. Um, I'm once I figure out if it's my network. If it's the Wi-Fi or if it's the way I had my thing configured, I might be paying for it. So, and I'm definitely, you know, the whole tightwad is part of me too. And that's for me to say I'm I'm actually thinking about paying for it says a lot. Yeah, because I've uh, uh, I've been that that's sort of the whole, the only thing holding me back from getting. A Chromecast is the fact that it doesn't work with local media right now, um, and then still you have to have you have to initiate it with some other app, and that's a little annoying. But if if it solves that problem, I think I may be may be all in there. We'll have to I'll have to check that out. Um, is it Linux only? Is it does it have a Windows or Mac version? Do you know? It's uh it's it does have a Windows version, um, and then it also has a Linux client or a Linux side, so you could run it on just about anything. The the problem I ran into when I tried to run it on the NAS device is that my NAS device doesn't have enough hardware spec to transcode on the fly. Right. So I had to that's why I'm pumping it through the Plex is sitting on my desktop, pulling from the file server. That's why I had it set up that way the first time. And it it just wasn't and I, I don't know where the bottleneck was. I didn't sp- I didn't spend enough time troubleshooting it to find out what the bottleneck is on the desktop or if it's the stream between the f- you know going from the file server to my desktop then back out of my desktop through the Wi-Fi to the Roku. Um, so I figured I'd do, try the easiest one first, and that was to move all the media to my desktop, and then we'll try it again. Hmm. And the machine that Plex is on does get nailed pretty heavily with CPU load when you're trying to stream because it's doing the transcoding. So what if you don't have to transcode? What if everything is just already in a like an MP4 that pretty much everything could play? Or does it still does it still transcode or uh to, well, it, to it, be able to it, get to the Flash app? Well, that's only if you're going through the web. If you're going through the web browser, if you're going to the app, um you can there's a setting in the so far, uh, my, I haven't found all those little buttons to turn on and off, but there is a setting in order to go in there and, and um, manually set the bit rate. So you can say, at home, I want it to be a 3 meg per second quality or 7 meg or 1080p quality. So you can manually dial each movie down or in general, and then you can set a, a bandwidth for when it goes out through the internet to your app. So it, it's got a lot of feature, it's got a lot of settings, and I haven't monkeyed with it enough to even tell you for sure which way it goes. But I do know when I was transferring it to the Roku, um, if I downgraded the quality far enough, it started, the stream started to be okay, but then it was down to, a, a you know, it wasn't even 720 anymore, and it wasn't even worth me streaming it that way, when I could just load up uh, a different app and do the same thing. Right. 
So my my so, problem has has long been that I have all my media in one place, and I I I don't want to like if I want to watch it watch it on my phone I have to copy it over to my phone. If the kids want to watch mm-hmm. it on their tablet, I have to copy it over the tablet. So I've been looking for a solution to that. I just haven't found it yet. And it sounds like Plex may be the one. It may be. Uh, it, it you're going to spend some time playing with it, trying to figure out which settings are the right ones for your network. And what what settings for the quality are right? Because you know, if you're on your little Android tablets, you may not want those tablets to stream at 720. You may right. want them to stream at you know 360 instead. So it, it's got a little bit of tinkering to play with. But once you figure out what you how you need to have it set, I'm sure it should do a good job doing what you need. Of course, being a geek, I hate playing with things and tinkering with settings. So. <laughs> That's just going to be a miserable experience all the way around. Uh, and you also mentioned here in the notes that you got a new media player along with your media server. Tell us about that. Uh, no, no, no. This, this is not just a player. This this is a new player for my love of my laptop. Uh, I have been tinkering off of my Fedora and cheating on her a little bit, so to speak, <laughs> with uh, a Mint-type operating system named Corora. What it basically is is Fedora with all the extra repositories that you normally would want installed already done. So it's not free. It, it's not open source and, and f- hippie free-loving, but it's it's more Mintish than, you know, what Mint is to Ubuntu, Corora is to Fedora. Oh, Okay. So well, it's, it's not hippie proof, but it's it, it's not. <laughs> but but so far, um, I've been playing with it for a couple of days now, and my, I still can't do cinnamon. I, I, I swear I can't do it. <laughs> Just can't make yourself I, do it. I can't. I've tried. I tried for a whole like two and a half weeks. I put cinnamon as my main desktop, and I just can't do it. I went back to KDE today. Um, so. It, but so far, Corora seems to be, uh, it, it might just sit on my laptop as longer than anything else has. We'll, we'll wait and time will tell, but uh, I'm impressed with it so far. So if you're looking for an RPM based distro that is, uh, uh, minty type, check out Corora. Oh, all right. So you got all kinds of goodness for us this week. Seth, what about you? You've been awfully quiet. Well, one, I'm having a hard time understanding because I don't know if it's my bandwidth or y'all's, but everything's sounding broken. But I'm recovering. Um, I bought, I use Groupon, which I found a while back, and I bought these four tickets to Studio Movie Grill, and I thought, oh, I'll use them. And then I realized, oh crap, they expire. So I saw, I saw four movies in the last half of last week. So, <laughs> uh, because I, you know, dead gummit, I paid five bucks a piece for those tickets. So I'm going to use them. Uh, and I did. So I saw a lot of movies at Studio Movie Grill, and I think I found, when I go back, I'm pretty much going to eat the pizza there because it's the right blend between, uh, good enough for the price they charge. Uh, you pay for, you pay for the, um, privilege of eating in a theater when you go there. So, but the pizza wasn't that expensive and it was pretty good. So, uh, if you go to Studio Movie Grill, try their pizza. It's really good. And, um, that's, that's what I did this week. Well, what movies did you see? Um, well, I saw American Hustle, 
which I thought was pretty good. And I realized that Christian Bell is an amazing actor because I never once thought that's Batman, you know? So, uh, <laughs> I mean, he, he looked like, uh, an overweight, balding middle-aged man and, uh, he did a great job. So I watched him. I watched that. And then I watched Lone Survivor, which was the Mark Wahlberg Navy SEAL story, which was really good. I watched, um, uh, Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit. I could tell it was just based on Tom Clancy's body of work and not an actual book because it fell far short of a typical Tom Clancy flick. And then the other movie I saw was, uh, Walter Mitty. Um, and I'm thinking about suing them for using my life as a basis of that story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, I, my wife wanted to see that cause that's the kind of movie that wives want to see. Uh, but we haven't, we haven't had a chance to, to do it. In fact, we, we went to see frozen again because you know, we have kids and that's what parents are forced to sit through. Um, so you just opened the door. I mean, yes, yes. No, we, they, they had, they released a new, um, sing along version of frozen so during the songs there were words on the screen with a little bouncing snowflake so naturally i had to go pay 40 bucks again to take the whole family to see the sing-along version of frozen yeah i saw that was one of the options at studio movie grill and i was like the sing-along version what i don't have kids i'm avoiding that place like the plague all right so here's what happened okay i saw it uh it was advertised on television and it said uh, uh, in the limited engagement, limited theaters. And our theater in our town is uh, a tiny little uh, theater uh, from the Georgia Theater Company. It's not AMC or any of those big guys. So I popped off fine. If it comes to our dinky little theater, we'll go see it. Opening day, there it is. Uh, and my nine-year-old <laughs> held me to it. And so <laughs> there you go. We went to see it. Well, like a good dad you are, you you did follow through. Yeah, awesome. well, I, I I didn't want to. <laughs> Let's be honest. Uh, wow. It was it was uh, I was coerced. Actually, the the primary reason I went is so that I could sing loudly and off key during the sing along part and embarrass my daughter. And I got forty five dollars worth of fun out of doing that. <laughs> she was hiding under the seat. Awesome. And when we left, she was hiding behind trees and stuff. And I was standing in the parking lot screaming at her, pointing, that's my daughter over there. This one, the one down here hiding, that's my daughter. See, she's about to go get into the gray minivan. That's my minivan that my daughter is about to get into. <laughs> totally worth it. Totally worth it. How old, how old's your daughter? She's nine. So we're nine? just in the beginning of Dada's embarrassing phase. It's going to get so much better in the next few years. <laughs> Yeah, you'll have to pull That's this awesome. one out. My a, a good friend of mine has a thirteen-year-old daughter, like my son. So they go to they 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 uh go to dances as friends together. So that yes. way they, you know, so that way they have somebody they know with them. Anyway, so the last one they went to, they my my friend is such a mean mean mother. She leaned out of the station wagon or the the forward and yelled at the top of her lungs hey pumpkin i'm over here come over here so i can fix your hair and let's go have some more fun and so at to this day 
This was almost a year and a half ago. To this day, there are still kids that will tease her by calling her pumpkin. pumpkin. Awesome. See, my my eleven year old uh, is like me. She doesn't she doesn't care. She wants the attention. So I I, I can't enjoy embarrassing her because she laughs it up. Uh, but the nine year old. She's got that totally my dad is so uncool just drop me off a block from school uh thing and I'm going to I'm going to enjoy every moment of that. <laughs> yeah, and the next time she wants to do something like that, yeah, remember all the fun we had at the Frozen <laughs> Sea along? Let's do that. Wait a minute, daddy, I don't yeah. think I want to go. <laughs> my room's dirty. Oh. <laughs> and one quick thing I wanted to mention, it doesn't have anything to do with tech, but uh, a lot of the people in our audience are like me. They're not as healthy as they'd like to be, and they spend a lot of time sitting at a desk. Um, I have some chronic back injuries, largely from an accident I had several years ago, but also largely because I'm largely, uh, you know, I'm carrying more weight than I should, and that causes problems. So uh, I was at a doctor's office. It's what I do. I work for, uh, uh, have doctors as clients and they had one of those ball chairs. You know, Leo Laporte is, is famous for sitting on a ball. I sat in one for just a couple of minutes and I liked it and I thought, you know, I'll give it a try. So I, I went to elementopi.com slash Amazon and, uh, the, I think it's called the Blue Mountain, uh, company. I can't remember the exact name of it. They sell this uh, big black exercise ball that's rated at 2,000 pounds. I come in slightly under that. Uh, so um, I got that, and after shipping and tax and everything, it was 31 bucks or something. So I thought, hey, if oh. it doesn't work, it's a toy for the kids. So I, I took it to work, and I love sitting on a ball. It is, it's, uh, It doesn't hurt my back. Um, it doesn't hurt your butt because it's, you know, it's soft and, and cushy, and it's fun. I sit around all day bouncing around and, you know, and, and rolling back and forth and, and it just makes the day fun. So go have a ball. Um, it's cheap. You can get one at elementopi.com slash Amazon for not much money at all. Um, and yeah, it sounds a little bit like I'm climbing on a pool toy when I sit on it, but yeah, I'm okay with that. Um, <laughs> I, it's a lot of fun. And so people will come by in my cube who who haven't seen me uh, in a while, and they'll say, hey, Mark, I wanted to ask you about w- what's with the ball. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's fun, too. I get to have the whole – and then so I, I'll – hey, try it. Sit on my ball. Um, and so then they come in, and, and, of course, I'm a big guy, so I, I got the 75-centimeter uh, one. It's taller than an average office chair. It's really tall, um, but they sell smaller versions. So it's fun to see these smaller people sitting on it, and they their feet don't even touch the floor. Uh, but uh, for me, it's awesome. So if you've never tried it, Leo Laporte's right. Sitting on a ball is totally fun and inexpensive, a whole lot cheaper than an office chair. Hmm. So, I mean, what are the benefits health-wise of sitting on a ball? Well, uh, theoretically, it forces you to, to strengthen your core muscles because you can't lean back in the chair and you, you're not letting the chair do the work for you. It, it, it improves your posture. Those are the things that they say. I haven't really noticed. I did notice the first couple of days my back was sore. I, mean, I was using muscles that I'm not accustomed to using because you're constantly having to support your own balance. Uh, but what I am noticing um, is, you know, 
just just being honest here a fat guy in a little chair uh sometimes the arms of the chair will dig into the thighs and leave a little bruise there i don't have that uh and also i don't have the 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 chair cutting off the circulation mid thigh and sometimes i would get to the end of the day and have like swollen legs and uh and feet from the poor circulation there's none of that because you're you're supporting your own weight and and my my knees are at a at a, a parallel to the floor or my thighs are parallel to the floor my knees at a nice 90 degree angle um and it's just a whole lot of fun so health benefits i don't really i i don't know if it's true or not there's you can look up sitting on exercise balls and there's lots of people who are passionate about it but for me i'm just finding it's a whole lot of fun hmm. Hmm. i've tried i've tried it um but the ball i picked up at the time uh was too small so when I sat in it, I was actually, and mind you, my desk is a pretty big desk that I'm sitting at right now, and I actually was like down here trying to be on my desk, and it's way too low. Yeah. So, uh, so that they the the company I I can't I wish I could remember. it's got something with the name it was Stone in the name, um, uh, Black Mountain maybe anyway they uh they have a size chart if you're x tall you should get this ball if you're x tall you should get this ball and um and they all of course you can under inflate it if you need to or over inflate it if if you need to um and so i got the biggest one they had and i've got it pretty well full up and i could go bigger i i could go taller um the thing the thing you need to watch out for is is they stretch you know like anything so the first day you're going to get it dialed in and the next day you're going to come back and you're sitting too low you got to put some more air in it and and you'll black mountain black mountain okay and that will happen for uh for in my case it happened for about five days straight i had to adjust it and then it just stopped so you know it's just uh you got to let the the whatever it is the plastic stretch and get to its final uh, elasticity uh, but anyway it's a cheap thing and i'm finding it totally worthwhile and again being the attention seeker that i am i enjoy the funny looks i get too <laughs> i can just imagine you working along oh yeah away. <laughs> yeah i don't ever i don't ever sit still anymore in fact sitting in this chair now it's it's a little weird because i can't i can't do it but i'm always just hopping along and i don't even notice it anymore and and i've gotten to where i'll i'll try to balance you know with my feet off the floor just using my my core muscles i'm getting i'm getting better at that i expect someday i'll be sitting there you know in lotus position with my 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 knees <laughs> folded under me and just you know totally still and balanced um and it just breaks up the day um, and I don't find myself hunched over my keyboard like when I'm, you know, writing complex code. Um, the, your posture tends to to deteriorate when you're doing that. The the ball forces you to be uh, more aware of how you're sitting. So hmm. there you go. Well, so I went thought. on uh, using elementop.com/slash/amazon. I found the black one, the uh, black mountain one. The two thousand pound anti burst yes. exercise stability ball with pump. That's the one. But then I also found the um I guess it's Gaium Total Body Balance Ball Kit for twenty dollars. Um I I don't know if I want to buy it though, because it doesn't say how much how fat you can be yeah, to get on it. That's exactly so. now also realize that the physics there being a you know, say you're a five hundred pound guy. It's not hard to exert two thousand pounds of force just by bouncing, you know. Right. So you you need something. That's that's the only reason I got the Black Mountain one because it had the highest number. And yeah, I don't see a number on this one. So 
I don't know. Maybe uh, I will have to look into this. So yeah, twenty four sixty eight is how much they're currently going for now. Yeah, cool. So go check it out. I, I didn't intend for this to be a whole segment. I just thought I'd mention it, but you guys were interested, so maybe the the audience will be interested too. Um, it's it's uh it's been a totally positive experience, and I really didn't expect it to be at all. Interesting. You, you'd you better keep an extra one on hand just in case one day you go in there and your balls deflated. Well, you know, that's entirely possible. Um uh, and I haven't bought an extra one, but uh the the act of inflating it the first time is a slow, painful process and noisy. So you're pumping air in with this little plastic foot pump and mine, I don't know if they all do, but mine whistled as the air went through it. So I wouldn't do that during the middle of the day anyway. Because uh, it was, I'd pump it up and go <laughs> the whole time, and you know you got to put a lot of air in one of these. Seventy-five centimeters a sphere holds a, a large volume of air, so it took me about an hour the first time. My foot was tired from from uh, stomping on it, so I thought you know I'd be really smart. I would go get my bicycle pump, higher volume pump, and I would just use that. But no, I couldn't get the nozzle to fit in just right. It wasn't like the same thing that a basketball would use or anything else so i ended up having to use the little plastic pump and it was an exercise in patience and i almost gave up on it frankly i was just like ah this isn't worth it but i i i hung in there and and stuck it out and it was uh it was a really good decision but but all right we'll move on along to the to the listener feedback part of the show uh we did have uh, a little bit actually the only thing we have is one voicemail from um from our good friend door and uh i will play that forthwith hello mark hello chris hello seth hello salted hello command line hello QA. uh first off thanks for all the content you guys uh i really do uh enjoy the consistency of every wednesday morning bang there you go in your face another edl uh, the only thing I wanted to make a comment on was um, Flutter FF and Mark saying, uh, well, it's 10 years old. When's it going to be ready? When's it going to be ready? Trust me, Mark, I thought the very same thing before last year's Northeast GNU Lennox Fest. Uh, and here's a reason to go to Fest, Mark. Come on, man. They're not that far from you now. Um... Uh, I, at Northeast Canoe Linux Fest, I got to see a speaker. I want to say his name is Ted Doe. He works at Google. He's basically the inventor, maintainer, whatever, of EXT, I believe, four file format. He works at Google on distributed file systems and understands more about inodes and this kind of stuff than any man on the planet, okay? Now, when I was in his talk, I had... I couldn't understand what 98% of what he said was, but I did pick up on one thing. He made it very clear. File systems are so heavily used by their very nature that it, that it takes a long time for them to mature to a state of usability. And he said, and I quote, if you look at NTFS, H, um, the Mac one, HFS or whatever it is. And if you look at EXT4, if you look at all these file formats, uh, the XT, originally XT, he said they literally took 10 years from the time someone first started working on it 
before it was at a usable state for the normal user. He said it takes, on average, 10 years. Some take a year or two longer. Some take a year or two shorter. So us thinking, man, it's been 10 years. When's we ready? In actuality, in 10 years is just about the time it is going to be done. So I really do expect ButterFS in the next, you know, six, eight months to a year to basically break through that glass ceiling and to actually become something functionally usable. Whether or not we're going to like it, whether or not it's going to be up to our, you know, specs of speed and performance, I don't know. But I think it's going to at least be acceptable to a majority of people. Um, again, thank you guys for the show. Thank you guys for the content. Uh, I don't care what you guys talk about, to be quite honest. And so right in the middle of what sounded like an insult, he ran up against the three-minute voicemail limit, so he called back to finish up, and he said, I'm going to keep listening to you guys no matter what you talk about. So that's he didn't say, I don't care what you talk about, and leave it at that. So thanks, thanks, Dor, for your feedback. Um, you know, uh, okay, you make a good point, but I'm still going to whine about it. Oh. Yeah, I mean, what else are we going to talk about? <laughs> and honestly, though, I mean, you know, like I was saying when I was talking about butter last what was last week or the week before, but I said that it's close, and it, I think it is. It's getting really close, and I think he may be right. Six to nine months from now, we may see a full release, and it might be up to snuff. Um, tuning is all it's, is what I think is is what it's about right now, and I think eventually they will get it tuned, and it'll be better. I, I think it's time for us to just, you know, move away from that whole paradigm. I think about the time we get current drive technology hammered out, we'll have a new technology. It'll be little liquid crystals or something. Um, <laughs> but, you know, ButterFS is, if it does everything it's supposed to do, it is literally going to be the ultimate file system. Uh, it will be almost impossible to lose a file. Uh, it'll be lightning fast. Uh, all the thing. I mean, it's it's going to be the Superman of file systems once they all get it done. Um, so they say. Well, well maybe that's the uh, the the last file system that there you know to be. It'll be just that one, and that's the one that we move on with forever. One FS to rule them all, and in the darkness bind them. That's uh, right. And that's all the uh, feedback we have this week. Um, So let's move right on to the tech news. Seth was, uh, you know, took the week off and only gave us about 300 topics this week. So uh, (laughs) we may be jumping over a few of those. But this one I want to talk about the, um, I think, if if I'm not mistaken, this is that Indian uh, uh, tablet that uh, was supposed to be done by the the education ministry, but a new new tablet hits the streets with a sub forty dollar price tag. Wow! Yes, um, thirty seven dollars and ninety nine cents. The UB Slate Seven Ci. It's like the least expensive tablet computer ever to come to the U.S. And you know you're running Android four point two point two 
you know, and again, you can't, well, I mean, obviously you can and people will. This is not a Galaxy Tab. This is not an iPad. This is not a Microsoft Surface. It's a $40 laptop that gives you, or a $40 tablet that gives you access to the latest Android, to the latest store. Um, you get a uh, one gigahertz processor, 512 megs of RAM, and a whopping four gigs of internal storage. But it does have like a micro SD slot so you can load up on your 32 gig, uh, memory cards and, um, keep it going that way. It has, of course, Wi-Fi, B, G, and N. And they do have models that will have like 3G, uh, or 4G connectivity, but those will cost a little bit more. Um, I was just blown away by the price. And again, you know, it, it's kind of like the Apple versus Windows, you, you know, the $4,000 Mac desktop versus the $400 Wintel box you buy at Best Buy. You know, it, it, that's not what this is. This is a tablet for somebody who can't afford it. I mean, $40 is pretty cheap to get to the digital age. I would totally buy one of these for my mom because all yep. she needs is Facebook. Um, yeah. It's a gateway tablet. Right. Uh, and looking at these specs here, gigahertz processor, five twelve megs of RAM, four gigs of internal storage. That was my first, my Nexus One. Those yep. are almost identical specs to my first Android phone. Right. And that was totally functional, and I used it for a long time. So uh, it's it's you know it's not going to have the fit and finish. It's probably a cheap plastic case and the capacitive touch screen. I, I don't even. They didn't, yeah, it is a capacitive multi touch. It may be a little wonky, but forty bucks is disposable. At that point, yep, that's a child's yeah, tablet you know, now. Yeah, this bucks. is this would be a starter tablet for somebody. Absolutely, you know, learn how to use a tablet on this piece of garbage, and by the time you break it, you should have the maturity in place to use uh, a more um, a more costly, more functional tablet. That's exactly what I did with my kids last year for Christmas. I got them like seventy dollars tablets, expecting them not to make it through the year. Uh, one of them did, one of them didn't, but it was like you said, it was training wheels. And then I bought them a slightly more expensive one that they're still, you know, it's it's early on, it's only been a month, uh, but right. they're still using. Um, and then you know, you you move up as as they learn how to use them and 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 need more. So yeah. Yeah, this is totally this is a grandma tablet, this is a toddler tablet, um, and you know if if you it's a ramen noodle college student tablet too. Yeah. I mean, think of it that way, too. I mean, this is also a great device if you wanted to get Netflix on it. If you just needed a, a device for a child because you needed a babysitter, yep. you know, not not that we're commending that, but if, you know, that's what I see a lot of people just handing this tablet over. Instead of giving you, your child a Nexus 7, you can just get them one of these. 800 by 480 pixel display, so it's, it's not going to be super uh, crisp. It's not going to be high def, but again... Um, you know, that's fine. It's got a front facing VGA camera, no rear camera, so no snapping pictures, but you can do the, the all important selfie. Uh, that's the, that's, that's all anybody ever does anyways, but you know, it's Facebook and selfies. Welcome to the world of, of computing as we know it today. Yeah, pretty much. You know, and I've got to say, I thought of a neat phrase last night. Uh, they used to say a picture's worth a thousand words. Well, we've devalued them to pretty much they're worth five. What a waste of time. <laughs> there you go. And speaking of a waste of time, the new BlackBerry OS is released. Oh, hum. <laughs> yeah. I think it's funny that the, the news article is what, f 
what, four or five lines long? Well, OS News, that's the way they do. They link to the real story and kind of just give a summation of it and a little commentary. But yeah, I liked the OS News article. The uh, BlackBerry 10.2.1 was released. The biggest new feature is much better support for Android applications. You no longer have to convert the files. You can install them as is. And then he said, I still have yet to see any BlackBerry 10 device, which makes me sad. I'd love to see what it's all about. <laughs> I just wanted to read the story because of that. <laughs> to me, that's hilarious. Yeah, sad trombone. Yeah, so, you know, I don't know how much money they're going to lose this quarter. Maybe they'll keep it under a billion a month and they'll get headed in the right direction. Well, you know, they're uh, if they focus on solid hardware running Android OS, you know, there's that's a thing. Yeah, but but they're not doing Android OS. They're trying to do Android binary compatibility, which you know that's okay. Um, it's just, I my heart hurts for BlackBerry, as it did for Palm. You know, both yeah. of those companies uh, were vital to my everyday life for a large chunk of time, and both of them died withering and wheezing in a hospital bed, <laughs> and it made me sad. <laughs> you know what else makes me sad? patent trolls and this particular podcast patent troll now has decided he wants the eff to hand over the names of people who've donated to fight the patent troll what yes personal personal audio llc they basically claim a patent for playlist and podcast or episodic content as they call it and eff basically said that's a load of crap uh we did a round of fundraising to raise money to fight this patent well personal audio basically did a motion and said um we're going to need your entire donor list i don't know why except you know they're probably running out of people to sue and i guess they're going to use the efs donor list as a way to uh a new round of lawsuits because it's a good bet that all those donors have podcasts Yeah. yeah so you know i mean if this pot, if this patent is valid, n- n- number one, we should just, we should just shoot everybody who's ever said the word patent. But, uh, we're technically in violation of his patent and we owe him thousands of dollars. Um, which is ridiculous because you can't patent, you know, I mean, basically he needs to go back to all of the, the Saturday movies where you had the 10 minute serial reel before the movie started. That was episodic content that far predates the internet. Mm-hmm. You can't patent this. You stupid moron. I'm just praying for some uncommon sense to that. Somebody drops somewhere for somebody to fall over it and bust their head open. It, it, it's, it's ridiculous, but yes. So if you can patent episodic content, I, I, I don't know what, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Well, and, so. and what the EFF is worried about is this request here. If, if it's ruled that they can do that, it's, it's a time waster and a, and a resource waster. So they, they basically said, tell us everything you know. And we want it in triplicate and delivered via FedEx overnight. Um, right. And so that what they're thinking is if, if the judge lets this request stand, it will become a tool of future frivolous lawsuit people uh, to to keep people fighting them mired in paperwork. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And all of these times, um, doing these motions is that much longer. They can collect the royalties. And it makes it that much harder for anybody to fight them because you got to wade through all of this minutia, uh, pre-trial motions. Uh, it's just the, the word troll fits in every way. It really does. Uh, and moving on from bad news to badder news, uh, there's a new kernel of vulnerability that seems to only affect Ubuntu. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I didn't really, um, it's a, a new kernel that, or a new vulnerability that affects Ubuntu 13.10. And, you know, I really wasn't bringing this story out to kind of pick on Ubuntu, but just to remind you that it doesn't matter what OS you're running, if you don't keep it updated, you're asking for, you know, it's like putting a big neon sign that says, please pwn me. Um, you know, again, Windows, Apple, Mac, FreeBSD, whatever, uh, you need to update your software. And it's true because it's 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 important that you know all those things you mentioned Windows, Mac, Linux, all those things uh, are all vulnerable. And recently, they're all vulnerable to the same thing: a cross-platform virus. Awesome guys, object-oriented uh, oriented program has finally come to, to come to age, come of age when you can write one virus and infect multiple systems. Yes. Now it's running Java. So wow, go figure that. There's malware out there that attacks Java. Um, but if you're up to date with your current Java, then you're safe because there, the, this particular vulnerability was addressed in a patch from June, but, and it will run on Windows. It will run on Mac and it will run on Linux. And even, and the thing, you know, Java, before somebody said, hey, let's put it on every computer in the world is a big deal on servers. And you update a web server, you know, are most people who uh, most people have web servers aren't full time web admins. They have a website and then they look at it occasionally to make sure the web page still loads in amongst their other duties. And so it was installed three years ago. And whatever was current at that time was what is still current on that machine. So you could be secure, but the website you go to could be infected and you could get infected that way. So again, this is for people, this message kind of goes out to everybody running their own server or in charge of servers. You need to make sure your internet facing stuff is updated, especially Java, because this particular bug isn't just a Java way to infect your Windows machine. It is actually, it will run on anything. And uh, I just need to point out um, that you said duty. Uh, <laughs> I did say duty. But I um, didn't say doo-doo. That's true. Uh, and Facebook has a novel way of, of archiving cold storage. Cold storage is that which you don't need right now. You just need to put it somewhere, and typically uh, that's been done uh, via tape or as hard drives have gotten less expensive, uh, just racks and racks of hard drives, uh, but but Facebook has a novel approach to do it, doing it. Yeah, they they have actually built a prototype, so it's not, it's not on drawing board and it's not yet their main thing, but it's a prototype and it uses Blu-ray disc to... Uh, install um a petabyte of data using 10,000 blu-ray disc um and eventually over time they think they'll be able to increase the capacity of their cabinet up to 5 petabytes um i just thought it was pretty neat they use 100 gig blu-ray disc 
to hold a petabyte on 10,000 disk. Um, it, it's just pretty neat. You know, it's, I understand Microsoft wants Blu-ray to die. Um, all of, uh, you know, PlayStation, uh, Sony wants Blu-ray to die. Netflix wants Blu-ray to die because they want everything to be streamed digitally, but there's still a lot of life in having some type of optical media. And the great thing about having an optical media, you know, if you set a magnet next to it, so what? It's still going to work. Um, whereas if you set a magnet next to a hard drive long enough, eventually you'll have you know, maybe a flying saucer, but, uh, and yeah, optical medium media are more resilient, but they do have their issues too. Like uh, lots of people who, uh, I'm one of them. I have some old, uh, CDRs that I burned back in the early days that just have just died. They've bled, they've oxidized. They don't work anymore. Right. Um, so it's interesting with, with cold storage, it's, it's not so much storage, it's movage. You're, you're taking your data and you're moving it to a new format every few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's not really, we haven't come up with a way to store bits infinitely yet. I mean, even if I did have, um, you know, a, a floppy disk that was in good shape, what machine could I put it into anymore? Yeah, um, man, I don't even know if I have a USB floppy drive anymore. And I, I remember when <laughs> all my senior papers I wrote for classes, I saved them on a floppy drive. So, you know, that high scholar, that high scholarly work I performed, I might want to look at it someday and laugh. You know, who, who's got a, a zip disk drive anymore? I bet Chris has one of those too. Nope, I don't have one of those. I don't have a zip disk. The last I, one ended up dying with the click of death. I was a big proponent, apparently the only one in the world, of the super disk, the uh, uh, 120 meg floppy disk. That was three and a half inch floppy would hold 120 megs of data. Yep. Uh, I invested heavily in those, the the drives and the disks, and then I think I was the only one in the world that did because they were only on the market for a year, maybe two the Betamax of magnetic storage. Indeed. <laughs> okay, but hey, so- Chris, did you know that Spinrite might fix your um, click of death thing? I was listening to a Steve oh, yeah. Gibson interview yep. about that. Yep. So- I, it, it just the, the problem is, is after those started going, we already had them all backed up on the magnetics, you know, on the hard drives. So when they started to click, they just ended up in the trash bin. Ah. We we talked last week about Google spending three billion dollars on Nest. Well, they they got that three billion back on a company that last year they spent twelve billion on, and that would be Motorola Mobility. Yes, they um they sold off pretty much the physicalness of Motorola Mobility um, for two point nine one billion dollars to Lenovo. Um, cause you know, Lenovo, their market share is growing in the mobile phone in America and they want to get more into, um, mobile phones because, you know, that's a future of, um, computing is mobile phones. And so they're jumping in, but yeah, I was reading this article on Yahoo that it kind of explains why selling it for 2.91 billion a couple of years after buying it for 12.5 billion is not necessarily a bad thing. 
because it sold Motorola home for 2.35 billion. Um, when they bought Motorola, Motorola had about 3 billion in cash, which Google got. And then it basically means that Google ended up spending about 4 billion for the part of Motorola they're keeping as well as the patents, which was the main reason they wanted them anyway. So, I mean, it's still, I don't understand. I don't think they're worth all that, but it's not the bloodbath that it seems the 12.5 to 2.91. Well, and let's not forget when you're a multi-bazillion dollar company, sometimes it's a good thing to lose $9 billion. Sometimes yeah. that yeah, makes, that looks good on a balance sheet. Yeah. Well, there's that. And also that I bet you those patents are going to save them a lot of money down the road that they keep. Well, so. but you you know, this article actually, or it might have been another one. I was reading several stories about this. They haven't got the worth of the patents that they thought they would. Like they've tried to use them to block some Apple stuff and it hasn't worked. So I think that both Motorola and Google had a, uh, an inflated opinion of their patent portfolio. At least that's, uh, you know, that's the argument that seems to be out there. Hmm. It's possible. It, you know, Google is not a company full of stupid people. Right. Uh, so if they did this, it was the right thing for them to do. I, I really think it was because they wanted to end some of the enmity between them and, and Samsung. You know, Samsung is just taking over the market right now. Google tried to undercut them with the Nexus series and the Moto X series. Um and it didn't really work. Uh, Moto X is, you know, they were they're selling like fire sale right now. You get them for three fifty or something like that, and they're they're good high quality phones in the Nexus line as well. I think Google tried it. They couldn't break the the stranglehold, and they'd rather have a good relationship with Samsung than a bad one. That that's just my reading the yeah. tea leaves. That could well, be I think it also had to do with Samsung. They had announced a Tizen tablet that they were coming out and you know and they've had they've had software developer conferences where they really want to make their own version of android and so they were trying to break google's hold google's monopoly hold on android and so you know you had google kind of behind the scenes being a frenemy with samsung trying to break their dominance of the handset and then you had samsung being frenemies with google trying to break their dominance of the operating system and i think one of the reasons is they were both competing against each other and so google's like hey let's play nice we'll sell off our handset business and we'll just focus on the os if you promise to not focus so much on the os and they're like okay you're getting out of the handset business okay that's cool uh, we'll be friends again I like Lenovo. They make good products, and uh, I will probably buy one of their phones at some point down the line. Yeah, I like Lenovo. Uh, IBM used to make good products. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I will echo the chorus of good good thoughts about Lenovo. I, I've yet to see a bad Lenovo product. So, no, even their um, their Windows eight little the, the small laptops. We were uh, when I was with the previous company. We were looking to get rid of Dell because they were being unresponsive, at least to us. And the stuff we got in from Lenovo was awesome. I mean, it, it was, it was high quality. It ran great and it looked good. And so, yeah, Lenovo 
they do a good job of not just the behind the scenes, but they make it look good too. And I think this other one, Seth just put in there because he couldn't believe what he saw. How about a, a one terabyte flash drive? Yeah, I, that's the whole reason. I mean, yeah, not a hard drive, a flash drive. One terabyte for the bargain bracement price. You can go to elementop.com slash Amazon and pick it up for $1,271.27. But you get free shipping doing that. So, you know, I mean, that might be worth it. One terabyte flash drive. Why? Why would Why you not? need that much space on a flash drive? See, I have a 32 gig flash drive that I almost never, well, not almost, I have never filled up. Um, I just don't need that much in my pocket. Uh, a terabyte, wow. That's that's insane. But hey, if you're going to buy that, please buy it through com slash Amazon because the, the residual on uh, $1,200 would be would be. I don't know, almost 85 cents. Yeah. But you know, with a, with a huge flash drive, maybe not a one terabyte, you can do something like X boot and you know, you can have your spin right and your 27 different versions of Linux and your five different antivirus rescue CDs and then still have, you know, your entire music collection on MP3s left over. So, you know, I, I have a 64 gig, uh, flash drive that I don't even know if anything's on it that just sits in my backpack. (laughs) And this next story, our our last one of the night, is is really for Seth more than anyone else. Um, Two-thirds of Americans still surf the web at less than 10 megabits. Yeah, that is correct. It is... um, My response to this was, duh. Right. You know, you get some country like South Korea... And they have, they're the number one in terms of percentage above 10 megs. They have 70% above 10 megs. And the United States is ninth on the list with 34. Well, I mean, you know, and even, even in the U.S., there's a huge difference because a state like Massachusetts, uh, which I just, I never can say right. I know. And New Jersey, they have 54% of people who are on the internet are at speeds of 10 megs or higher. Well, I mean, in Texas, you have spaces that size that don't have like, you know, 10 or 15 people in them. So when you get to countries with big land mass and wider, wide, more widely dispersed populations, you just, you aren't going to have the high speed because it costs money to, to extend the infrastructure that far. And we're just too sparsely populated out where I live to justify that investment. So come on, you know, Wi-Fi. That's my only hope. <laughs> you know what the sad and thing the is, though, this whole project. idea about, you know, there's less bandwidth for everybody around, especially in the U.S. Uh, I don't know if I've said anything about it, but Verizon in my area lost a tower, and now there's almost zero cell coverage in my town. Yeah. If you're a Verizon customer. So, yeah, the, the chance of getting bandwidth at 10 megs to everybody in my town is, is pretty pretty low unless you have a lot of money. Yeah, I was thinking about this earlier this week in the context of snowpocalypse, icepocalypse, whatever I said I, I called it. Um, we were we were trapped in the house for two days, and we had to go shopping at the end of the two days because we don't keep months' worth of food 
on hand. Mm-hmm. So I got to thinking, what you know, how quickly the 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 doomsday preppers are all right. We break down pretty quickly. I mean, if we had to, we probably have enough dried beans and and canned vegetables to live three weeks off of what we have right now. If if there were just suddenly no new stuff available, well, you look at that in, in bandwidth. It's even worse when everything's functioning perfectly. I can get my, you know, five megs or whatever I get um, when when everything is perfect. But one thing fails, and that, that cripples me, which cripples somebody else, which cripples somebody else. Uh, we're we're all every the whole bandwidth structure of the internet right now is is all um, just just in time. Like we just barely we're working it at at, uh, at capacity, and we're just barely making it. Um, and it just it's not going to take much to to break that like you said chris one one tower goes down and you know you got you got nothing right there's yep. no backup for it um and that's um frightening in some aspects and not surprising in others you know it just it is what it is yeah well you know and also like if you take your your neighborhood on any given night there's going to be a certain percentage who are out, whether that's their movie night, their date night, or that's the night they went shopping. And so you don't have everybody there trying to use bandwidth. But whenever, whenever snowpocalypse hits and everybody's stuck in their house, everybody's trying to suck the bandwidth dry. Right. And then, you know, it's like, ah, you know, and the, the switches who normally don't do anything, those fans are revving up trying to keep the capacitors cool and one capacitor pops. And then the next thing you know, you wish you had dial up. <laughs> uh, I just did a test while you were talking, by the way, and I'm, I'm currently pulling 12.1 megabits. I think I pay for up to 15. Uh, so I'm in the, the one third. But I'm also, you know, 30 miles from the CDC, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a, definitely a, a heavily densely metropolitan area. You would expect that. Yep. But yeah. Seth, I mean, you, you're going to get what a meg at the at most where where you are at my house. I don't know. I I pay for 756. Okay, yeah. So even on the best day, you don't even get a meg. Right. I I could buy up to two megs. Um, last time I checked, they had plans up to two megs available. But the cost would be almost not usable, wouldn't it? I mean, I think I think that price is like sixty or seventy a month. So I pay like forty, um, and with uh, two months free because I pay a year in advance. It's it's gonna it's gonna get better, but you know, not right away. It's just oh, yeah. it's something we got to live through. Yeah. I, I think. You know, I've I've said it on this show before. I think there will be a time when when nobody knows what long distance is. You know, and and you know, people people today my age remember long distance, but I haven't paid long distance in God, I don't remember. It's been years. Uh, and the internet thing, you know, it's going to be like that. You know, we're not even going to remember what it was like when we had less than a gig. It's, we just got to get there, though. Yeah, <laughs> yep. I just double checked mine right now too, just so I could say that. Technically, if I get if I have a perfect server connection, I get eleven, and that's with just me in the room, in the house. And that's so. why both of y'all suck very much. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, so, do you so want to know how much I pay for it? Though I pay out the nose for that. That puts you in just barely in the one third 
you know, the yep. top 33%. You're you're at 32.97%, you know, something like that. And I bet um, you I spend twice what most people do in a in a more urban area. I'm sure. Yeah, I, my I mean I can get Comcast will promise me 50 megs for $70 a month. Uh, of course it's Comcast so they sock uh, and they shape everything. Right. Okay, moving on to the next thing. Uh, this week in history, February 5th, 1958, something happened. Yes, the first patent for an integrated circuit was filed by Jack Kilby of Texas Instruments. So this is the kind of patent that's a good thing. Um, and actually, his patent, while it was the first patent for integrated circuits, is not the dominant model Um a little later, the guy who was kind of involved in founding of Intel did one that um, looks more like the same architecture that's in use today. But the first patent was filed for by Jack Kilby this week in history, February 5th, 1958. And what's what's you might not even know what an integrated circuit is. A lot of people don't. An integrated circuit is a single chip with multiple um resistors, diodes, capacitors, multiple uh, logic circuits on it. It's an integrated circuit. So in, but prior to that time, if you wanted to um, step down the voltage from 5 volts to 4 volts, that was a device. And then if you wanted to rectify AC to DC, that was a device. And if you wanted to uh, have a, you know, a relay that pulls, that closes this circuit and opens that one, that was a device. And the integrated circuit put all of those on a single chip. And now our integrated circuit chips, like you know, the 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 Pentium processors, have billions of of transistors, billions of different logic circuits on them uh in one little chip that's slightly bigger than a postage stamp. So this was a big deal. Yeah. Well, and still Huge. is, technically. Yeah. yeah. I mean just the fact that the somebody Somebody figured it out. So, again, like I said, this is a good kind of patent. This was a guy who invented a whole new way to do something. That's what a patent is supposed to be for. It's not supposed to be uh, a way to to sue people. Right. And lousy transition, but Linux Academy won't sue you, maybe. I don't know. Uh, LinuxAcademy.com, uh, once again, we're, we're going to... Uh, out them uh, as we are want to do a place where you can get step-by-step video courses that take you from being a, a beginner a, a Linux novice to being a Linux administrator with the use of over 200 training videos complete with PDF study guides and uh, online quizzes and practice quizzes all laid out in a, in a, in a very attractive dashboard module we have a dashboard system we have different modules you say I'm going to take the the uh, desktop Linux module and you take that and it, it tells you about all the way from the history of, of where you know Linus first invented it all the way up with how to use it. Or you take the Amazon Web Services modules and and when you're done and when when you've you've consumed all their content and and proved your uh, understanding of that content by using their practice exams, you're ready to go get certified. And we know that because people are doing it. People are getting certified with the knowledge that they did. Why, why are certifications important? Because it'll get you a job. Um, or it'll get you a raise. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're a better person, but it looks better on a resume. 
And so if you're looking to change careers or improve your career, linuxacademy.com is a good place to start. So let's say you're like our friend uh, Mike, who is a butcher, and you want to be a Linux admin, and you want to go from butcher salary, I don't know how much that is, but I do know that Linux admin salaries start out pretty good. linuxacademy.com can take you there, but it's going to cost you like everything does. If you want to improve your life, it's going to cost you. How much does the Linux Academy cost? About $19 a month. But it gets even better than that. If you buy three months or a quarter, they'll, you'll only pay for two, so $38 a quarter. But if you're not sure you want to shuck out the price of two large pizzas just yet, you can get a 14-day trial for a buck. Throw Anthony and his crew a dollar. They'll let you in, let you look around, let you download stuff for full 14 days, and by then you're going to be hooked. We know you are uh, because we are. So when you go and uh, check out Everyday Linux, use the, excuse me, when you go check out Linux Academy, use the referral code Everyday Linux uh, to let them know that we sent you there. And now Seth is going to tell you how much you would pay somebody else, somewhere else to do that. Yes, I did a uh, search and I waited until Mark started talking and I found a place that for 120 days, so this is for roughly one quarter, no, one third. So a little bit more than a quarter. So for four months, you could spend $749 to have access to their online portal um, to cover who knows what. I'm looking at some of their courses, and they don't have near the amount of content of Linux Academy. So, you know, if that if it's just too much to pay, you can somehow get $749 and get access to four months of training from somewhere else. So, you know, Linux Academy gets my money because they're really good. So Seth has become so adept at pointing out other people provide services that are just as good, but nobody does it for the bargain basement price of $19 a month. And just because yeah. we say they're bargain basement doesn't mean their quality is that. They are an excellent source. Um, they're, they're Absolutely. S- you, you can't beat their quality. I, I've, I've looked around, and, and even some of the, the other bigger dogs don't match this quality level. So... For the price, it's worth every penny and then some. I'm really surprised he hasn't raised it again. Well, I, there is something coming, I've mentioned before, uh, that is going to cost a good amount more, but I promise you it'll be worth it. So I can't <laughs> say anything more than that. I'm, um, he, uh, he asked me to look around at the new thing and tell him what I thought, and I haven't done that yet, so I'm bad. Uh, oh. but, uh, uh, shame on you, Mark. Shame, I, shame, I'm, shame. From the description he gave me, I know it's going to be awesome because I know his work, so I'm not too worried about that. Um, and now we're going to have the State of the Linux address. Um, every year uh, in January... The, um, the the American president has a State of the Union address as set forth by the Constitution. So we thought we would have a State of the Linux address just because I thought it was a clever pun. And uh, so where is Linux? Did we grow? Did we shrink? Are we any better? Um, here's a nutshell version. If you want to just go ahead and turn the podcast off now, pretty much the same as it was last year. Um, <laughs> but uh, is uh, this... Uh, <clears throat> Excuse me. This all started from a, uh, a an article Seth found over at the LinuxStartup.com called "Is Linux Taking Over the World?" Now, if your name is the Linux Startup and your ti- your uh, headline is "Is Linux Taking Over the World?" you can be sure that everything you're about to read says yes. 
um, <laughs> which is true. So th- that that article is there. It's going to be in the notes, and we may link to it. But I wanted to have some more, you know, just hard numbers based uh, sort of stuff. Uh, Linux market share. It's hard to find real numbers on this. Everybody has a different number. You know, the the net guys say this is what browsers tell us and other guys. So uh, the numbers I found, the Linux desktop slash laptop market share is anywhere from 1.5 to 2%. Pretty much the same as it's been for the last several years. Yeah, and so if you break that down by the number of distributions, basically every distribution has one computer. So... <laughs> And I, I would consider it a major coup if someday desktop Linux was at 10%. Yeah. Um, and I just don't think we'll ever get above that. The max, it's around 10%, and they're happy with that. Um, I think we'd be happy at 10. I think the Linux, the whole Linux community would be happy at 10. Because that says that Linux has 10, Mac has 10, Windows has the rest. Of course, by the time we get to 10, it may be Android has... Are we including Android as a as a Linux desktop? We're not considering it a a desktop slash laptop. Nobody okay. puts Android on their laptop. Um, well, only tinkerers do that, and right. they are, they're not enough to show up in market share reports. But we we will move on uh, and let's look at servers. So you you the the old saw has been and continues to be that Linux dominates in the server room. Um, well, yes and no. Uh, if you look at the the top of the, in the security oriented scale, uh, Linux is up as high as seventy eight percent. If you're if you're a security guy and you're really concerned about having a rock solid impenetrable server, seventy eight percent of the time you're running a Linux server. But in the general laptop uh, or uh, network server market, not counting not just you know web servers, but just counting servers in general, uh, corporate file servers kind of thing, that can be as low as thirty eight percent. So anywhere between 38 and 78% is Linux on the server market. But That's that totally respectable. Is, Even the yeah. lowest number is respectable. And that number's growing because it was just a couple of years ago, it was like 25%. So Linux is gaining ground in the server market share. It's not, you know, I mean, it, it's a big enough force to be reckoned with, and I don't see it going anywhere, but it hasn't achieved parity of numbers yet. Uh, right now, the big server is, uh, you know, for for just plain old servers, Windows. But then yeah. there's also still a whole lot of of the big iron, you know, the uh-huh. the the mainframe stuff out there, and those skew the numbers too. Uh, yeah. But in terms of of you know just a one U server that you're going to buy from Dell and throw in a box, Windows dominates that market because they dominate the desktop and they talk, they communicate more seamlessly together, um, and but. For everything else, Linux is is the the go-to. And if you go to specialized markets such as supercomputers, then Linux dominates that. So, um, yeah, Microsoft owns still the overall server market, but it is losing. It's it's it. I would say it leads the server market. I wouldn't say it dominates it anymore. And then let's let's move on to what Chris was asking about Android. Mobile market share for Linux. If you count Android, and I, for one, don't necessarily count Android as a Linux distro. You can argue that it is. Maybe we'll have that argument here in a minute. But counting Android, uh, mobile market share 
The highest number I found was 79%. That is clearly dominant. Yeah. Um, yes. If you look at pure Linux, then you're looking at like 2%. That's your Tizens and your Migos and, and your things like that. Uh, that is a very, very low number. But Android makes up for, for all the rest of it. And so I want you guys to let's have this discussion. Is Android Linux? Chris, yes or no? I'm going to go along the line of yes, because it is running the Linux core, the Linux kernel. So it is to you, you consider it a distribution, just uh, yes. like Ubuntu or Mint. Yeah, be, well, like I said, I'm going off the basis that it's running the Linux kernel. So technically, if you wanted to split hairs, Linux and Android are running the same base. So they're Android's a Linux distribution. All right. Seth, what say you? As of January 14th, current Android versions consist of a kernel based on the Linux kernel 3.4 branch. So since it's running the Linux kernel and just this, they are being more true to Linux than most Linux distribution because they picked what they wanted and they didn't use the rest and they substituted their own stuff. So yes, they are Linux. Okay, so I, I, here's what I, why I say not. None of the apps that you would run on Android will run on any other Linux distribution. They're, they're Java apps. They're not Android apps. They're not, they're not compiled in C. They're not, they're not compatible. For me, for something to be a Linux distribution, it has to be drop in compatible with other Linux distributions. Uh, so, you know, you may have different package manager, you may have Deb or RPM or, or whatever, but the code that they run is the same thing. You can compile it on your, your processor in Linux using GCC that, that says to me, Linux distribution, um, Linux, Android isn't, is definitely using the Linux kernel, but none of the apps are Linux based. None of the interface is Linux based. Linux is just the subsystem that runs Android. So we're, right. I, it's 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 a fine line. I would definitely mark going off of that criteria. I would agree with you. It's not Linux, but if you're going off of the the base of the system, I still stand on the Android. Now, okay, I'm gonna the the point I'm gonna actually bring across is where I stand. I think Android is the hybrid of Linux. Okay. Because it's Linux at its heart, but yet it's still running all the uh, it, it's running its own proprietary code. So I would I would have to say if if I were to be put to you know a gun to my head and I had to say one way or the other, I would say Android is a hybrid of Linux. It is not Linux pure, but it is still running some of Linux. You see, I I, I would say Android is not Linux in the same way an ATM is not Linux. The the end user never touches Linux, so it. What difference does it make? But you could, you can get sure. a root. You can get root access to Android, so you could touch the 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 kernel level. But you know, maybe Android is kind of the future. 
of Linux because really in a lot of ways Ubuntu is moving to be more Android like, you know, they're tying stuff closer and closer with their, um, operating system. And so it's not so compatible with other distributions unless that distribution is based off of them. I'm not sure I followed that logic. Try again. Um, well, okay. Well, okay. Android is not Richard Stallman approved GNU slash Linux. I will, I, you know, nobody would make that point, but they, they take Linux and then they modify it and it run and it runs what they want it to run the way they want to run it. So in a lot of ways, that's Mark Shuttleworth is trying to head Ubuntu in that same way. Um, Ubuntu's, seems to be like they're going it alone and what they do is only going to work for Ubuntu and it's not going to be a lot of overflow to the other Linux, um, the greater Linux community. Does that, does that make sense? Do you, okay. do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I wonder if the future of Linux is more heavily customized, less open to all the other distributions. Well, well, let me ask you this. What is the benefit of that? What what do we gain from Linux becoming concrete? Every building has a foundation of concrete, but so what? Uh, so if Linux is nothing more than the foundation, w- how does that benefit anybody? Wow. I you know, if it helps to kill some of the smaller distributions that there's only you know, one gray beard stuck in his basement who only sees the sun, you know, once a month when he goes to the grocery store or whatever. And if it, if it could make the community, if it can make the development pools for the remaining community stronger, I think that would be a good thing. Now, I mean, and again, I'm not saying it is going that direction. I'm just saying maybe it is, but I, you know, one of the, the strengths of Linux that is killing it. Um, is that there's too many distributions. I mean, how many new distros came out this week? You know, <laughs> so I, I don't know the answer seven. to that question. So, because it, two more have probably came out since the show started. And, you know, you're never going to have market share, um, when everybody does their own thing. And, you know, I'm going to take my toys and I'm going to go play over here and I'm not going to share with you anymore. Wah. But well, what's interesting is, is you, you, you invoked RMS, the GNU slash Linux. That's his point all along, is that GNU is the operating system, Linux is the foundation. That's why he gets mad when we call Ubuntu Linux, because there's 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 a lot of GNU in there, and it just happens to sit on Linux. Right. So, you know, that is RMS approved. He would agree that Android is as much Linux, I think, is as much Linux as is um, uh, Ubuntu or Fedora. It's just not GNU slash Linux. Um, and, and he's more important. He's more interested in the GNU part. And maybe when I, as I think about it, maybe the open source community as a whole is actually more interested in GNU than they are in Linux. They just hmm. don't know that. They don't. They've never thought in those terms. We're far more interested in the stuff that sits on top of the foundation than we are in the kernel. Right. It's a thought. Right. Um, well, I'm not a developer. I honestly, I don't care about the kernel. Uh, you know, does it work? And can I run my programs on top of it? You know, the everyday user, to the everyday user, Android is Linux. 
to the to the graybeard stallman disciple you know um hunched over the keyboard and his eyes strained from looking at the the green and black monitors in his youth you know <laughs> it is not and can never be gnu slash linux i pity the fool and will kill whoever says it is and just for that i'm making a new distribution and you can't play so yeah. well there you go <laughs> Chris, you, you had a thought, I, I think, there. Do you, do you remember what it was? No, I don't. I lost it. Okay. Died of loneliness. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Seth steamrolled me too much. <laughs> <laughs> so is Linux taking over the world? Is the Linux kernel taking over the world? I, I got to say yes. Yeah, I would agree. If, we, if, if we're going to say the state of the Linux kernel, um, it's everywhere. Uh, it is making its way into the desktop. It's not there, uh, but it's making its way there. Um, it's all over the handset. It's it's all over tablets. It's all over embedded devices. It's all over servers. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a it's a worm there that's that is eating its way into the very fabric of of computing. Um, but is GNU slash Linux taking over the world? No. When you when you make that distinction, you actually hamstring Linux. Quite a lot. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. You know, we talked a little bit where the, um, what was it, the GNU kernel, I think, is almost up to an alpha stage after 10 years of development, and development on it was actually started before Linux, right. um, I believe, and look at how far Linux has come, and the other one is still, you know, I don't know, a, a gleam in its daddy's eye. Uh it just, it doesn't seem to last. I, while I love the idea of freedom, openness, and transparency, you can't have pure freedom, pure openness, and pure transparency. You have to give up some of it in order to play well with others. Um, and I'm willing to give up some, um, uh, more than they are, obviously, but you have to, you can't live in a society um otherwise maybe i you know honestly i'm just i wish i could retract that because i even forgot what i was trying to say you lost your train of thought i could tell right in the middle of your diatribe there you didn't remember what you started out saying yeah it was was fun i'm sorry the 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 synaptic structures just just dissipated they did i hate when that happens when what happens why are we talking about again so, where where is Linux? Um, just one word, uh, up or down. Chris, 2014, Linux up or down? I want to say up because I think we're going to end up with more embedded devices that are going to take over. So your smartphones, your smart TVs, your smart fridges, your smart toasters, um, smart cars, etc. Seth? Up. That $40 tablet, baby, that's going to do it. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the the Linux kernel itself definitely up. GNU slash Linux unchanged. Yep, I would agree with that. So maybe maybe I, I may just be rethinking the entire structure of this show now that I say it. Um, all this time we've been talking about it's the Linux show that's not about Linux. Maybe we're the truer Linux show than any other one out there. Because we don't get hung up on the good news stuff. 
Maybe. Yeah, we're, we're not the GNU, we're the, we're the Linux show that's not about GNU slash Linux. Although we will talk <laughs> about herd and the fact that it's up to 0.5. Um, you know, that's the GNU kernel. So. Right. Anyway, that, that was an interesting discussion. It was more interesting than I thought, actually. I thought we were just going to read some stats and move on, but it turned into a, a real thought exercise. Listeners, what do you think? What do you, what is Linux? Is it, is it the kernel? Is it Linux? Is it what Linus does, or is it GNU slash Linux? Is it what RMS has devoted his life to? What do you think? What an RMS, by the way, Richard M. Stallman, the 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 GNU guy. Um, what do you think? Let us know. Uh, go to elementop.com. Uh, leave us uh, uh, some feedback by clicking the Contact Us button at the top of the page or leave us a voicemail uh, by calling 559-IMOP. What do you think? Um, where is Linux? Two questions. Where is Linux going to be in 2014? And where is GNU going to be in 2014? So those are, those are the questions. I would add one more question. Okay. Do you know what the difference is between GNU and GNU slash and the and Linux. Yeah, I would bet most people don't. That would be another question because I would agree with you, Mark. I don't think a lot of people realize where the GNU is and where the Linux is. Which is why Stallman hates it so much when everybody just says Linux because they're leaving out the GNU. Yep. And, you know, that's his thing. Uh, okay, that was good. That was fun. Chris, what is your tip this week? This is a tip for anybody who's running KDE. Um, and I didn't ever actually notice this setting. And I actually bounced off of a YouTube video and found it. And I wish I could remember the guy who pointed it out. Uh, because it makes a world of difference on how KDE feels. Um, because we all know KDE is kind of a behemoth and is slow moving. Well, with this, this desktop effects setting, you can actually make it move quicker. So when you're switching desktops, the slide animation is faster. When you are uh, going to the kickstart menu or any of the, or opening windows for that matter, any of your file browsers or Firefox, uh, by changing the, you go to your KDE system settings, then to desktop effects, and there's a drop down dialog that says for animation speed. Normally it's set on normal, which is slow. If you move it up to the fast or fastest or I think instant is the last one, it's amazing how much quicker KDE feels just by changing the animation, the animation speeds. So if you always thought KDE was a slow behemoth, change this setting and see if it fixes it for you. I, it was a night and day difference. So give it a shot. And- and so by making it faster, they make it lower quality, right? No, no. The, all, the, all the effects are still there. It's just instead of taking uh, a 1,000 milliseconds to switch desktops, you know, it, it takes a third of that. The effect is still there. The slide motion is still there. It's just animated quicker. So instead of running at, you know, 15 frames per second, it's running at 40 frames per second. So, so it makes me wonder why they would be slow, just so so that you can artistically and 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 uh, aesthetically enjoy the effect longer. I think it's eye candy. I really do. I think it's because they wanted the effect to show off the how pretty KDE can look. You know, with the slide and the the box spin or the slide or the fade, 
or the 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 how the transparency of the Kickstart menu just kind of fades into the picture and you know goes from nothing to to a substantial window but just by changing this feeling it, the the speed is is you you have to try it that's the only thing i can say i didn't think it was going to make that big of a difference i changed the setting and it was an immediate immediate change there i didn't have to restart kwin it was just an instant instantly everything was faster and I would have recommend not the instant setting because that's almost too fast. That that's that's you know you, you, it's faster than than you can imagine instant being. Okay, faster than instant. That's <laughs> it, it was it was unusable fast. How's Sounds that? like a concept album. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the the instant was almost too fast to use. It was hard, like you you know, like I do a, the key command to switch desktops. I would actually over switch my desktops because I was you know holding the key button too long. Gotcha. Or I would you know drag the window to the side. Well, because that that switch is immediate. There's no delay between the slide. It was like, oh, I'm now on desktop eight instead of four. Whoops. All right. Seth, what do you got for us this week? What is in your your gooey bag of tricks? Okay. Well, I don't know if you've ever heard of archive.org. I mean, you probably have Mark and Chris, but those of uh, our listeners out there might not have. They have came up with a way to legally port, and I don't know how they did it, whether they licensed or whatever, but legally port old, old um, consoles to where you can play them in your browser, such as the Atari 2600 or 7800, ColecoVision, Magnavox. I mean, we're talking old school, first generation consoles. Um, and you can get there at archive.org slash details slash console living room. And then you click on the console in question and it will take you to a page where you can then do some of the games. I played a little Pac-Man in the browser and, you know, I mean, you're playing it with the, I didn't have a joystick, so I was just using my keyboard. And, um, but anyway, there you go. You know, if you want to, if you want to see the kind of games that your grand, that your parents played when they were your age, you know, take a look over and see what they look like. <laughs> wow. It just made me sad that you just said, if you want to know what your parents did, you made me sad. Well, I mean, really, we were like, I mean, I played some on an Atari 2600, but really that was more of like what my brothers would have had. So I was still a little young there. Um, but, you know, like the 5200 would have been more when I was of age, I guess. So, yeah, old school. And, you know, some of the uh, just some of the name games are like, wow. A lot of them out there. I had an Atari 1600. Google it. Not many people even know there was an Atari 1600, but it was the predecessor wow. to the 2600. And and that's what my grandfather bought for my brother and me uh, when we were, gosh, I was wow. second or third grade. Um, it was a, an 8-bit uh, system. Uh, hmm. So, yeah, I go way back to to the old stuff and you know back then all we needed was a joystick and a button 
Yep. We didn't need an X, Y, Z, trigger one, trigger two, thumb pad. You know, no. We had a button and a joystick, and we liked it that way. <laughs> and pretty, yeah, the joystick pretty much went four directions. Up, yes. down, left, or right. None of this 360-degree movement garbage. If you can't go up, down, left, or right, it didn't need to be done. <laughs> and everybody who ever had one broke it within the first couple of months from overstressing it, and that little plastic yep. ring would break. And yep. you'd pop it open, and you'd rubber cement it, and you'd be good to go for a little longer. That was one of, See, the, rem- one of the tricks you learned that and blowing in it. Yep. See, uh, I had a 2600, so... This is like going back to my childhood here. This is awesome. I'm playing Private Eye right now as we speak, and I love it. <laughs> well, there you go. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad I pointed it out. Archive.org is their job. Their mission is to archive the digital world. I, I was going to say the internet, but it's more than that. If it was ever committed to ones and zeros, they want to have a copy of it. Um, pretty impressive yeah, the, uh, goal. I would love to see their data center. Would that be the coolest field trip to go see their data center? They they want to be the modern day library at Alexandria. They want to be yep. the repository of all information. Uh, and they're well on their way. I think it's awesome. I think we should call them and see if they'll... I, you know, that would be a cool guest. We should see if we can get somebody on. Because I bet you they run Linux. <laughs> <laughs> if not them, have you heard that they are, they're kind of making a homebrew Cray OS? Um, this guy built like a, He's trying to rebuild the work... Make a working Cray supercomputer, which by today's standards... It's not a supercomputer, but when you think supercomputer, you probably think of a Cray because they were, they were the bomb back in the day. Hmm. I came across an article and I was going to put it in the show, but it didn't really fit anywhere because you know it wasn't really news. It was more just somebody tinkering, um, and it wasn't really cool enough to be a link. I don't think. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so. That's it, folks. I'm wrapping up. I've already told you where to find us and, and uh, ask you some some action questions. They always say in, in good podcasts, you should give your people action items, things that uh, that you want them to do. But I really am interested in your take on what is what is Linux um, and what is GNU and, and is there a difference? And, and um, what, what do you think? So, uh, Chris, Seth, as always, uh, great co-hosts, great uh, um friends and we're glad to have you there those of you listening uh, i appreciate so much that you are a listener uh also i went recently to uh itunes and saw that that some of you guys have have gone out there and put some more uh reviews and ratings out there thank you so much for that if you haven't done it please do um i i would rather you do that than ever donate any money to the tip jar or ever buy anything through amazon honestly that is more important getting ratings and reviews on itunes can make or break a podcast. Uh, it's it's true. Uh, I when I hear from new listeners say, "Hey, I just found your show." I ask them, and they almost always say they found it. You know, doing a search. Well, so many podcast directories pull from iTunes. Um, if you show up high there, you show up high everywhere. So you know that's 
please do that if you haven't already. I know it's painful and difficult if you're a Linux guy, uh, if you're a GNU slash Linux guy. Uh, you know, you've got to you got to do a virtual machine or go find Windows or whatever. But please do. Um, and I, ideally, we want you to say positive things, but uh, speak the truth. If you don't have anything positive to say, I'm okay with seeing a negative review there. Uh, it's more important that I know that you're out there and that you're listening. So thanks for being a listener, and go and make 10 other people listeners this week. And for now, I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux, and go Broncos. Go Broncos.